what I've come to understand from my study of the Bible is that we have taken patriarchy as the Bible's message. And I think, and I've, and I've written about this in a book called Maelstrom, that the Bible uh, dismantles patriarchy. And it starts early on by doing that. When you look at Genesis 1 and 2, God creates male and female to rule creation, to rule and subdue all creation. He's entrusting his creation to them for them to be his agents as his image bearers. And he's calling them to do it together. And he blesses this arrangement. And so the rule is outward toward creation for flourishing. Looking for me. Hi, welcome back to the Can I Say This at Church podcast. I am Seth, and I am excited that you're listening. So we have teetered off at 75 reviews on iTunes. Well, as of recording this, towards the you know central part of March, but we need to bust that to 100. I don't know why, but 75 just feels eh. So if you have not yet done so, please rate and review the show on iTunes. I would appreciate it. I love reading those. It's it's one of the it's one of the many forms of feedback that I really like, which leads me to my next point. If you have not yet, uh, leave me a comment on the show on Facebook or on Twitter or by email at can I say this at church at gmail.com. I really love reading those. Even if I don't necessarily agree with them or when you don't necessarily agree with the content of the show, I really enjoy the intentionality behind that and I would encourage more of you to do so. Just let me know what you think, what you want to hear even. Quite a few of the future guests that are currently being booked are a direct result from recommendations from the Patreon community. And so, so thankful for that. If you haven't supported the show in that way, I would encourage you to do so. Find the links to that at canisaythisatchurch.com. Just click the big support button in the top right. These past few years have just been different for me. I, as as many of you that listen know, I have uh, three kids, but uh, two of them are just you know young women, and I'm terrified to mess up. I'm terrified to embrace a role of patriarchy that is unhelpful and that is not truthful and that perpetuates a system where my daughters aren't allowed to be something just because they were born female. I don't believe it in any way, shape, or form. But that leaves a lot of questions for me. You know, what's the role of man? Is that a role that even matters? How do we deal with that with intersex stuff? Like, I, There's just so many questions there. And so it is a huge nugget to tackle. And so I sat down with Carolyn Custis James, and we talked a bit about patriarchy and manhood and womanhood and what it looks like to live in partnership together and what that should look like in community with one another. I love this conversation. Very much so. So I can't wait for you to hear it. Here we go. Carolyn Custis James. As certain as the sunrise, my love won't dry out. My love won't die out. No, no. As steady as my heart. 
Carolyn Custis James, welcome to the show. I'm excited that we could make this work. I'm excited that you said yes. Uh, one of the big lacking things in all of last year was I just don't have enough female voices. But what I find often in my life is female voices sound a lot more like the God that I want to worship than the dad voice in me. And so I'm glad to have you on, and I'm glad that you're here. Welcome. Thank you. Well, I'm really pleased to be on your program. Well, good. Uh, there will probably be a, a bunch of people that are unfamiliar with you. And so if you could just, in a nutshell, over the handful of minutes, say, you know, this is what makes Carolyn, Carolyn, kind of your upbringing and kind of theologically how you got to where you're at today for some context. Okay. Okay. Well, um, I'm a PK. My father was a pastor. So I grew up in the church, grew up on the Bible, and uh, had uh, a very specific idea of who I was as a female and what God's plan was for me, uh, that I would that I would marry after college, that I would become a mom, that I would make um, build my life around my husband and God's calling on his life. Uh, and what happened to me after college was really, I think all of my work ultimately has come out of the decade that followed college because I didn't get married. There wasn't anyone I wanted to marry. And at first it was, well, this is maybe a lull in the plan, mm -hmm. but when, as it stretched on, it became more and more of a struggle of, you know, has God abandoned me? Because I saw everybody else's stories moving forward and mine was going nowhere. And uh, it also became a struggle with what it means to be a woman. And what is God's calling on me? Is it something I can miss? Or, you know, as the, the longer I was in this, the bigger the questions got, mm -hmm. um, you know, because I would see women who's, who got married and, um, and couldn't have kids or who got married and their family fell apart. There was a divorce or something, their husband died, you know, and just the contingencies of life were hitting all kinds of, you know, changing all kinds of stories. So the questions got bigger and bigger for me. And I, um, I ended up going to seminary during those years and, um, you know, just had a hunger to go deeper was very frustrated with a lot of things that were written for women because I, you know, I felt like we need, we need more meat mm -hmm. in our, in our stories. I mean, I was, I was finding that my understanding of God was not enough and that I had a lot of false things that I believed about him that, you know, he would abandon me mm -hmm. um, or that, you know, my story wouldn't matter as much as somebody else's to him. And so that's where my work came from, you know, going back to the scriptures and saying, okay, what is the Bible's message for women? And is it big enough for all of us? And does it begin when we begin? Or is it just a certain season of life that it covers? Um, and does it go the full stretch to our last breath? And does it include every woman everywhere in the world, no matter who she is or what she sees in the rearview mirror or what her circumstances are? Um, and will it hold up? Yeah. W is it indestructible? Because that's so my work really came out of that. It's centered on biblical studies. I go, you know, that's the heart of what I do. I want to know what, you know, God has said. I want to know what the vision is for us. And it has been. Uh, 
an amazing adventure for me. Uh, and I actually ended up doing the same thing for men because the more I studied women, the more I realized that men ask the same questions, you know, is, is God's calling for me as a man, something I can lose or ruin or be, be stolen from me. So, yeah, we, well, I can say we definitely have the same questions. We're just not, well, a lot of us just aren't public about it. Uh, And I find that uh, the, the view of manhood is entirely informed less by the Bible and less by religion and theology and more by capitalism and a measurement of me versus the neighbor or me versus Tom Brady, because I don't have that many Super Bowl rings or, you know, me versus someone else as opposed yeah. to me just being what I'm supposed to be, the the best version of me. Yeah. Uh, There's no freedom in that. There's no freedom in that. No, because and- I'm never going to play in the Super Bowl ever. Yeah. Well, or, you know, who only one guy gets the sexiest man alive every year. And they gave and, it to Blake Shelton, which is just awful. Have you seen? It doesn't matter. This isn't about Blake. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, this, this has got to be a joke. Um, Seriously? You, yeah. yeah. You said something. Well, he does sing well. You said something just in there. You said, you know, does God's calling for women begin when we do? What do you mean when you say that? Does it begin when we do? Are we born with it? Because we look at, you know, as well, for me as a call, as a young woman, I saw God's purpose for me as something that was down the road. Mm. And so you look at at a a little girl and you think, well, you know, I wonder what God's purpose is for us. We're all looking for God's purpose, you know, but it's something future. And, you know, there are little girls that don't live to be adults. And there are little girls who are doing awesome things who have a sense of God's hand on them. And, um, you know, sometimes they open their mouths and say things that shake us up spiritually. (laughs) You know, God works through all in the Bible. He's working through children. Mm -hmm. And we don't, we don't think like that. You know, I didn't grow up thinking that I knew I needed to live as a Christian, but as far as, you know, purpose and calling, it was future. And it depended on somebody else showing up and not on that God called me as me. And my whole journey is part of his purposes for me. Yeah. So it's it, it became very big. It's very, I spent a lot of time in Genesis 1 and 2. It's, it's very empowering for women. It's wonderful good news for men. It's not a you know, swinging the pendulum at all. It's about that, you know, what God's calling in a, on all of us as individuals, but also together. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, I think my, I think my books break new ground in terms of how we talk about who we are as, as God's children. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, it's been life changing for me. I'll say, I'll say that. I've never written a book, but I can say just the process of doing this, having to constantly engage in new ideas has been life-changing uh, for me. Mm. If, if anything, having to constantly wrestle with new ideas to be able to talk to people like yourself stretches me in ways that I'm uncomfortable with, that I'm getting, but, but I will say this, I'm no longer concerned with being stretched, and that's probably a bad metaphor. Uh, I, <laughs> not that I like the stretching, it just used to really be uncomfortable, and now it's more of a status quo. Maybe I'm more 
I don't know, that slime that the kids make. Maybe I'm, I'm yeah. beginning to look more like that and less like a, like a rigid mold. Um, so one of the things I like to do is ask smarter people than me for good questions to other people that are smarter than me. And so we'll put you on that list. But so I asked someone this morning, I said, Hey, if I'm talking with Carolyn Custis, James, what would you ask? And so I want to verbatim read her question. Uh, this is someone that has very similar degrees with you. So they have a degree in sociology and an, and an, and, you know, and then they have divinity training and biblical studies training. And so she wanted to know, how do you, how do you believe that your study in sociology influences the way that you understand God and the Bible? Like how has that sociological training either changed or helped inform or help remove how you read scripture? You know, I think we have too narrow of a discussion of scripture that we need to bring people into the conversation from all different kinds of backgrounds. We need to bring artists in. We need to bring medical people in. We need to be lab- need to bring laborers in. We need to bring people who are cooking meals and, you know, um, and for me, sociology and anthropology are huge in terms of understanding scripture. I think that one of the things that I always say and that I always remind myself of when I open the Bible is that I am not reading an American book. And if I only look at the Bible as an American through an American Western lens, I'm going to abuse the text. I'm not, I'm going to miss the message. I will at least diminish it. I may distort it completely, but I won't understand the power of that message because I am foreign to, to the world of the Bible. So to understand the sociology, you know, how the culture works, um, how men and women were viewed in the culture, what kinds of things, you know, what were the operational mores that, you know, that, that governed their lives. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to make hash out of it. And we've done that out of so many stories. Let me give you a really simple example. Okay. Um, you know, the story of Jesus and Mary of Bethany, where she's sitting at the feet of Rabbi Jesus. It's, a, it's a, an expression that defines her as a rabbinical student. And we hear sermons on that text that talk about we need to have quiet time. We need to not be so busy. You know, it's, it's sort of, it's hard to be impressed with what's going on in that text. But after 9-11, we learned that in Afghanistan, girls celebrated their eighth birthday by having their education ended. And we hear stories of Malala from Pakistan and how she was shot going to school and being an advocate for education for girls. If you took the story of Jesus and Mary of Bethany into those cultures and told them that story, they would tell you what it means. And it would be completely different. They, I mean, they would absolutely love Jesus because he is saying that women and girls need to learn. And uh, above all, they need to learn about who God is and who Jesus is. But they need to use their minds just the same as the men. She was in a room full of men when she was doing this. And 
her sister comes in the room and you've got juxtaposed the, the place that women belong in, which is preparing the meal for the men who are going to eat without the women in that culture. And her sister, her sister who is sitting there learning. And I think what the interaction in that story is Jesus appealing to Martha to join her sister. And there's evidence in conversations she has afterwards, Martha has afterwards with Jesus, that she did exactly that. Um, but it's, you know, we don't get that, you know, because it's not, we're not in a culture, you know, our culture, women are getting graduate degrees and becoming professors. So, well, well now you know, they are. it's just, yeah. yeah. So it's not a, you know, bec- so the understanding the sociological, anthropological context mm-hmm. of that, of that narrative changes the whole story. Yeah. And it does it over and over and over again in the Bible. One of the biggest themes in a lot of your writing is the role of, of patriarchy and, I don't want to say matriarchy because I don't really know how to define either one of those, but uh, patriarchy for me has always been just the implicit of, I'm the head of my house, and so what I say is the rules. Um, but that may have just been the way that I was raised. And so I would be a fool, um, and I think I said this in the email, I'd be a fool not to discuss patriarchy with you, um, specifically on ways that we have done it poorly. Um, I feel like there's a lot of resources on ways to do it well, but I feel like to talk about ways that we do it well without making the status of, you know, here's what we have done in the past will, will be hard to move forward or hard to at least agree upon a, here's what we do now and here's why that is dangerous. I think dangerous is the right word. And I only say that because I have two small girls and I'm really afraid, Carolyn, of, of doing it wrong. I'm, I'm afraid of modeling what a man should be um, and do it wrong in a way that impacts, you know, their marriages and their relationships, their relationship with me, their relationships with boys that they go to school with. Um, so I, how would you define patriarchy as a status quo now? How are we doing it wrong currently? Let me dig deeper than that. Okay. Okay. Because um, what I've come to understand from my study of the Bible is that pa- we have taken patriarchy as the Bible's message. And I think, and I've, and I've written about this in a book called Maelstrom, that the Bible uh, dismantles patriarchy. And it starts early on by doing that. When you look at Genesis 1 and 2, God creates male and female to rule creation, to rule and subdue all creation. He's entrusting his creation to them for them to be his agents as his image bearers and he's calling them to do it together and he blesses this arrangement and so the rule is outward toward creation for flourishing all right it's not about power the power is god's power and he's he's entrusting that to us to serve his purposes you only have the rule over after the fall after the fall that's where I think patriarchy begins, where, you know, the, in, in God's judgment and in the curse and in the consequences of the fall, it is that the man who is typically stronger mm-hmm. is going to rule, rule over the woman. And that takes all sorts of, all sorts of forms. Um, you know, in our culture, if we understand, and this is how 
the more, the kinder, gentler version of patriarchy is portrayed. That the man is the head of the home, that he's the leader in the home, that um, the woman's role is to submit to him. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're a single woman, like I was for 10 years, you have to step up, you know, you have to be able to be the breadwinner. You have to be able to Mm -hmm. protect yourself. You have to be able to make decisions and, you know, assert yourself in, in various situations. What you, what the instinct is from that is that when you get married, you're going to pull back. You're going to pull back. What happened to me, because I was single, I was single for 10 years and I, I thought that was the way things were supposed to work. So I felt like I didn't really have a story. The story was, was supposed to show up in the form of a husband and we were going to do him. And what happened when we were first married, I um, married a, a man who was raised by a single mom. Mm. And um, he didn't come at, you know, any, any sense of the traditional marriage, although he was, you know, a biblical scholar, he was in seminary, he's got two doctorates. Um, so, you know, he's not somebody who's just winging it. But when we were first married, he said to me, you need to find out what your gifts are, and what God is calling you to do with your life. And I'm not the answer to that question. Mm. And he has pushed me to find out what God wants me to do. And it has been, it has been life-changing for me that I have a husband who is going to champion me and I'm going to invest in him with heart and soul, everything about him and his career. I, you know, a lot of the work I did was to finance his um, education, and we were a team in that. But it was it was an eye opener for me to f- not to feel like okay, now what matter are his gifts and what God's called him to be and do, because you know it happens to women all the time. There, you know, a husband goes out jogging and drops dead in the road, and where is she? You know, she's she's lost her story. She's you know who. Is she headless? What are we talking about? Hmm. You know, and, and and for me, I think, you know, God's purposes for his sons and daughters call us to be all in, in, in what he is doing in the world, that each of us has responsibility for stewardship of the gifts that he's entrusted to us, and that it's not a competition. It's not you know, which way is the pendulum going to swing? It's, um, it's that we're in it together. And that, you know, what I want to be the strongest champion for my husband, I want to be his strongest advocate, I want to watch his back, I want, you know, I want him to walk with God. And, and if he's heading down the wrong path, I want to be the first roadblock he encounters, mm. you know, because both of us are fully engaged in what God is doing. And it's, you know, it has been life-saving for me because life has twists and turns. Um, you know, my husband has moved in different, you know, from different jobs that he's had. 
And it, it ha- I haven't lost my identity, you know, because his job description changed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's, for me, it's, it's, um, it's much bigger than we let it be. When we come up with these rules, when I have, when I'm, you know, I think what, what patriarchy does to us um, is it makes us define ourselves horizontally instead of defining ourselves by, you know, I'm God's image bearer and I'm going to live this out as a single woman, or I'm going to live this out as a single man, or I'm going to live this out as a child or an elderly person with an empty nest and maybe widowed or, you know, who knows that it's, it's this way that Genesis one and two defines us, but it calls us to need each other in profound ways. And so, you know, I think the patriarchal model um, makes men look for women who will submit. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not looking for somebody who's going to be fully engaged with them. Somebody who's going to be a strong spiritual influence in their life. Um, a real sounding board for them. They're going to look for somebody who 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 they can somebody they can lead. And there are times in a marriage relationship when um, you know the woman will lead. And there are situations in the Bible where you have a woman stepping up and leading, and she's not breaking the rules, and she's not um, feminizing a man or emasculating him. She's doing what God's calling her to do. Um, and so I think we make rules that that limit that limit how you know what we're gonna do in terms of stewarding the opportunities and the gifts that God has given us. You know, you have little girls mm-hmm. and there are treasures inside of them that God has placed there, you know, that you want to see flourish and you want to see some guy come into their life. That's going to make them shut that down. You'd like to see a a man come into their lives who would say, this is treasure that we need, that we need to release for God's purposes in the world. And, um, you know, that, that will be, blessed and empowered himself by having that kind of a, a life. Down if I could find the words to cool up, I would say you all I need. Is it true that broken hearts find open arms of Calvary? I'm gonna find a way to fall down, find a way to fall down at your So I want to build on that. Um, I feel, well, I don't really usually get personal on this show, but we're talking about my daughters, and so I will. So I have, my oldest is a boy, and then the other two are daughters. And so I feel like I often do a very piss poor job of modeling what a good father should be. Uh, Because I, everybody loses their anger, or everyone has an issue, and I don't model it well. And so what are, for people listening, some practical ways, uh, and I don't honestly even care, because I know there are people that aren't Christian that listen as well, so what are some practical ways to model 
What I don't want is this. What I don't want is in 40 years, my daughter decides to run for Congress and we celebrate with a small hand clap that there's now five, th- finally 35 new members of Congress and they happen to be women. Um, I don't want that to be, let's celebrate that, but because of new ideas, let's not celebrate it because of gender. So I don't, I don't know how to model it well. I don't know how to connect with a part of me that can either display what they should be looking for, if that's even the right question to ask. And I also don't really know what to say to foster conversation around it, because it's not the inherent, um, it's not how I, it's not how I was taught to quote unquote do things. Nothing against the way I was taught to do things. It, it made me what I am today, but I want to do better. And I know that I'm not. So how can I, how can I and other fathers and mothers listening do that? What are some practical ways to do that? For their daughters, for their daughters. Yeah, or yeah. even for my son, because if I do it wrong, I'll exacerbate the problem for an entire another generation. Yeah. Well, and all of us do it wrong in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I can, a lot of the things I've learned subsequent to, you know, our daughter being a little girl, one of the things that's, that I think is very powerful is the when you look at Genesis 2 and the creation of the female, when we look at Genesis 2, we think in terms of marriage, that's what the sermons talk about. You know, this is the creation of marriage, but it's not. It's the creation of male and female. And um, and we sort of trivialize it and make jokes about it. But, you know, that's where I went to find out, is this talking to me? I'm a single woman. You know, mm-hmm. and the language that she used in there only talks about marriage at the very end of the of the chapter. It's 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 God has created Adam and and he has just named the animals. So, you know, when we look at the creation of the man, the first human, he's created at, at the climax of God's his, of God's creative activity. So we're looking at a masterpiece. We're not looking at something that's, there's something wrong with him. Mm-hmm. It's God is teaching us about male-female relationships. And he looks at the man and he says, it's not good for him to be alone. And this is what he needs. And the Hebrew word that he uses, he uses two words to describe the woman. It's the Hebrew word azer, which is translated helper. And the Hebrew word connecto, which is to say she is his match. The word azer is what scholars typically do when they come across a word like that. This is a word for the woman, the female. Um, They do an inventory, see how it's used in the Bible. And this word is used 21 times in the Old Testament. It's used twice for the woman in Genesis. It's used three times for for countries where Israel is asking them to send their armies. They're asking for military aid because they're under attack and they're being overpowered. Send your armies. The remaining 16 times it's used for God as the helper of his people. Hmm. So when that was, when that was discovered, they upgraded helper to strong helper. And what I did is I went and looked up all of those verses and there started to be a pattern where it's military language is used all around the word Azer. So, you know, send your armies for the three nations. It's very clear what they're, what they're wanting. 
When it's used for God, in every single passage, there's military language. God is better than chariots and horses. He's our shield and defense. He stands sentry watch over his people. He, the kind of help he's bringing his people is monumental. Then we go back to the Garden of Eden, which we've talked about as paradise. But when you look at it closely, Eden is a war zone. There's an enemy getting ready to attack. God commands the man to guard the garden. And the male and female are created to rule and subdue, which means even in an unfallen world, there will be resistance to their efforts. And I believe that the Azer is a warrior, that she, that she brings her full strength to the purposes of God, that she stands alongside the man, that he needs everything she can bring to the battle. And that it's a battle for good, and it's a battle for God's purposes. Little girls are azers. And I've met with little girls. I, there was a group of little girls here. Um, they were middle school girls, and they had read through my book, Lost Women with the Bible, where I talk about the azer. And mm-hmm. I show how women in the Bible live that out. And I wanted to meet them when I heard that they had gone through this book together. And it was incredible to meet with these little sixth, seventh, eighth grade girls who were absolutely on fire and they want to serve God and, and they wanted to live him and everything matters about their story. It's not down the road. It's here and now, you know, so I think in parenting, we need to have a big vision kids not to put pressure on them, but to open doors, let them explore, you know, what are their gifts? Is this child an artist? Is this child an athlete? Is this child interested in science or math or, you know, to cheer them on and, you know, to see them blossom and give them a sense of God's purpose for you is now. And you're out there with your friends. You're in situations nobody else is in. How are you a light there? How are you um, bringing God's good purposes into your friendships? You know, it's just, it's, it's very big. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think we should have that kind of a vision instead of saying, you know, someday your prince will come, <laughs> you know, someday somebody is going to come along who's going to support you. You know, not every, that doesn't happen to everybody. Yeah. And, and so, and in our culture, you know, we have, we have more freedoms than women do in other cultures than women did in the cultures of the Bible, the biblical times. And, um, so they, you know, our girls can go further and do more. Girls can in, in other cultures, and I think that we have responsibility for the opportunities that and the blessings that we have. So, as a father, if I if I do that and I do it well, uh, and I allow her them to either succeed or fail without stepping in and helicoptering parenting, when I model that. It's usually I feel like I'm giving up a power that I had. Well, really, I just assumed. I didn't really have it. I just flexed it from birth, and so it's mine. And so what do men do? What's a good, what's a good posture for men as we're allowing uh, females in our, in our realm of influence in our circle to do things that maybe in past generations 
or, or I mean, you'll see this a lot at Thanksgiving, you know, people judging whose wife does on what and people's judging, you know, my mom, you know, they always would bring me this or they would do this or do that. So as, as men begin to cede power to allow females to actually be helpers, to, to allow them to do what they're called to do for now, how do we sit with that tension as, as a man? How would you advise someone as myself, like, don't take it personal, like it's, it's okay. You, I don't. I don't really know how to voice it well. Hopefully, you know what I'm trying to get. No, at. I, I mean, I think that's a great question to ask because a lot, a lot of men feel that way. I don't think you're ceding power. I think you're using your power. Hmm. I don't. I don't think it's. I mean, what my husband did for me, he could do because he had power. Hmm. And I, you know, I see. You know, male power and privilege are realities in our culture. And um, I don't see God calling you to become weak or less. I call, I see him calling you to use that power. I mean, you have no idea what it means to a woman when a man speaks into her story and says, I believe in you and you can do more or you have gifts and you need to find out what God wants you to do with those gifts. The, the best example um, that, I, that I find in the Old Testament for this is the story of Ruth and Boaz because she comes into the story as in today's world, we would call her an Arab. We would call her an immigrant. We would call her undocumented, mm-hmm. you know, and she's, she's on welfare. She goes on welfare to feed her mother-in-law and herself. And she has ideas because she's got a different point of view coming from that side of things. And so she's on the hungry side of the law and she makes these initiatives with him where they're discussing mosaic law and she's got a bigger vision of, you know, the law says, let them glean. That's the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law says to feed them. Mm. And she, she and Boaz have these conversations where according to the culture, he shouldn't even talk to her. He shouldn't, you know, throw her out of his field for, you know, being, you know, so forward in in making a proposal like that, which is actually could be understood as a critique of how he's doing things. Mm -hmm. But he's a big enough man to listen to her. And he and he uses his male power and privilege in the most extraordinary and sacrificial ways to empower her to succeed in what she's fighting to do for her mother in law. So he doesn't, he is not diminished at all by what he does. He is, he's using his power, not for himself, although it, it, it it causes him to stand taller, I think way taller than he did even before, but he uses it to cause the flourishing of others. And what happens is that there is a ripple effect to what, to what happens here that um, it, it, it impacts the whole village. It impacts the future of the nation. It impacts the future of the world because <laughs> ultimately it leads to Jesus. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a, a big mistake to say I'm called to be less if I call my daughters or my wife to be more. Yeah. No, and, I like and I, and I think, 
you know, it, it, if you've got somebody stronger by your side, you're going to be stronger in the battles of life. Hmm. You know, you don't have to solo this. You've got a team, you know, <laughs> you're Tom Brady. You are, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you've got a team and the team, you can empower that team. And, um, you know, I feel like that's what my husband did for me. It was a shock because I thought, okay, now I know how the, how I know what the rules are here, you know? And so I headed for the kitchen and I knew I needed to get a job to help him finish his seminary education. But my plan was to stop. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that just was bewildering to him that I would, you know, back off once he got his degree, he wanted me to use all my gifts and to go beyond my comfort zone. And he celebrates all of that. And we're not in a competition. You know, I, I want the same for him. When he walks in the door at night, I want to know how his day went. I want to know if he's struggling. I want to know if he's, you know, got a big opportunity and I want to be cheering him on. Um, and that's what, that's, I think the mistake that we make, I think the vision in Genesis one and two is that we are better when we work together and we are better when we bring our full strength. One of the stories that I tell is that back in 2006, there was in the national news, a story about three climbers who were lost on Mount Hood in Oregon. And the story captivated the media for a solid week. And three of them were lost. There were terrible storms going on that week on the mountain. And there were a lot of other climbers, rescue workers who headed for the mountain when this happened. One of those climbers was my husband's younger brother. Really? And at the end of the week, they were all Christians, all three of these guys. It was an incredible week. I mean, my husband was on all the networks um, being interviewed about what was going on and being the point person for the three families. Um, but I have to tell you that as a member of the family, it did not matter to us who reached those climbers, whether it was a man or a woman, and there were male and female rescue workers. We just wanted them home alive, yeah. you know, and we lost all three of them in the end. But I'm just saying, you know, when we look at our mission, the mission that God has entrusted to his image bearers in the world, we can't afford for anybody to hold back. Mm. And, um, and as a man, you are in a position to make a huge difference to have a to have a ripple effect by how you become a champion for all of your kids, your son and your daughters, and your wife, and the people you encounter, you know. And I think that the patriarchal model ha ha forces men to look at themselves and am I, you know, am I making the decisions or am I being strong enough or is everybody looking to me for you know, decisions and leadership and provision and protection. Um, you know, if something happened to you where you were disabled or you, you know, couldn't keep a job or, you know, the economy crashed or something, 
you you'd suffer as a man because you couldn't be and do the kinds of things that patriarchy tells you you should be doing. Instead of saying, here's a new battle. How are we going to engage this new battle together? And, you know, trusting God that he's, that he's sovereign over everything and that he moves us into different circumstances, but that we are, we're to be for one another. And, um, you know, the stories that come out of this, you know, I, I hear men talking about, you know, how this bless their lives and, and cause them to flourish more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really, I really, and I've read books that, you know, say, you know, God is calling us to be weak uh, as men, you know, that as men, we need to, you can't shed your male pr- power and privilege, you know, <laughs> the culture gives it to you. Right. It's what you do with it that matters. You know, if you if you do it to guard yourself and your own position and to feel like somebody else's success is a is a threat, you know, then it's going to be a different story than if you have the freedom to say, you know, God has entrusted me with these gifts of power and privilege. And what am I going to do with them? Hmm. I am. Carolyn, I had so many more questions, but that is a beautiful spot to end because it's a call to action yeah. not just for men that's that's call to action just period i may if, if you're willing sometime in the future i'd like to have you back on because i want to talk about ruth uh, specifically because she continues to pop up over and over and over again recently and either that's because i'm paying attention like i bought a honda odyssey and so now all i see is honda odysseys <laughs> or it's something new i don't know which so if you're willing sometime in the future i'd yeah. love to have you back on to talk about that but I want to be respectful of, of both of our times. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. I've thoroughly enjoyed this. Well, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's a pleasure. The curtains and fall to the floor When I find you I find out without the music featured in today's episode is from artist Tina Boonstra. You can find more of her music in the show notes. And as always, you will find the tracks listed in today's show on the Can I Say This at Church Spotify playlist. I can't explain why I do what I do. Clench my fist on my plans as I let go of you. It's the same thing. This was so fun of a conversation to have. I am so thankful to have so many brilliant minds come onto the show, and Carolyn is among them. So after recording, she gave me a few books that um, I know my church has begun using, and my daughter came home after one Sunday evening of being engaged with it and was like, did you know about Miriam? Because they're going through the story of Moses, and I'll be honest, I didn't. And the feedback that I've gotten just locally or from adults even and, and from you know the pastors at our church and whatnot have just been amazing. And so I will link some of the texts that she had said, hey, for people like you, Seth, that are dealing with, you know, how do we talk about biblical women in the Bible in a way that has a different lens? Uh, And so after the fact, she gave me some of that information, and I will share that with you, and I will challenge you, men and women alike listening to this, we can be better. Within the terms of a generation, we can make the world something better, something more loving and something that stretches us both equally and pushes us everyone to succeed better. 
I can't wait to see what that world looks like, and I hope I'm still alive when we get some form of closer to it. I wish you all well. Talk to you next week. Need you so much more than I thought